Everybody said? Hey, I want to talk to you for the next few weeks about a series we're kicking off today called Two Natures. Two Natures. We have a spirit man and a flesh man, and our goal is to live in the spirit. And this morning, I want to talk to you about worshiping in the spirit uh, through the uh, dichotomy of Cain and Abel. Two natures, how do we worship in the spirit? How do you live a life that pleases God? One author wrote this, how do you live a life that pleases God? He said, a lot of Christians are like wheelbarrows. They need to be pushed. Some are like canoes. They need to be paddled. Eh? Some are like kites. If you don't keep a string on them, they fly away. Some are like kittens. The more contented when they're petted. Some are like football. You can't ever tell which way they'll bounce next. And some are like balloons, full of wind and ready to blow up. Some are like trailers. They have to be pulled. And some are like lights. They keep going on and off. Uh, but then there are those that seek to let the Holy Spirit always lead them. Amen. And I want to be the latter. I want to be someone that the Holy Spirit always leads them. You know, once we're saved, in order to please God, you know, we just finished we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end at the cross, and it really doesn't even end at the tomb. It's about living the life that God wants you to live. And how do you live a life that pleases God? And that means every day choosing to deny yourself, deny your flesh, and to live and walk in the Spirit daily. And uh, let me tell you something. I've been doing this a long time. That's easier said than done. How many say amen to that? It's easier said than done. How do you follow the Spirit daily? You know, I can unknowingly try to please God in my flesh, and I didn't even know it. I've, in my life, I've had moments where I've like, I've made a good decision, and God's like, you did that for the wrong reason. But you can do a good thing in a bad way. And for the wrong reasons. And so how do we have two natures, and how do we walk that out? You know, Jesus had two natures. He was 100% divine, and he was 100% man. And he perfectly lived that out. But unfortunately, we're not perfect yet. And even though I have uh, two natures when I'm saved, you know, when you're saved, you become a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You get that two natures within you. But you're not fully rid of that old man until you get this new resurrected body. So I'm still living with this old man every single day. And he don't like to die. Uh, it's like that roundup that I need that extended control. I mean, I want that five-month roundup in my driveway that kills the weeds for five months and I ain't got to worry about it. But how do I do that in my life? How do I live a life that pleases God? You see, the Bible says you have an old man that's crucified with Christ, but that old man has to die daily. So how is it? How is he crucified with Christ, but yet I still got to kill him daily? The Bible says in Romans 6 that sin no longer has dominion over you. Somebody say amen. But you know what? There's a daily war. In my mind, Paul says, every day I have to fight that war. And it says that I'm no longer condemned by my sin. But you know what? Every day I still have a will that doesn't want to please God's will. So how do we walk this out? What does it mean to offer myself, like Paul said in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord? How are you putting to death your flesh and how are you pleasing God by the Holy Spirit? Here's the verse or the theme or the, the word for today is either you are either being overcome or you are overcoming. You are either going to be overcome in this life called Christianity or you're going to be overcoming. Am I overcome or am I overcoming? Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, if you're there, somebody say amen. amen. Here's two offerings. 
We're either overcoming or being overcome. All right, Genesis 4. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings, or the tithe, of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. His countenance fell. But then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen or your face fallen? If you do well, will, your not, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. So Cain told, or he called his brother Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up and against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You go on, the story says that Cain would not really repent, but he would, he would have a moment with God, and then God would punish him, and God would say, you're never going to produce fruit. You're never going to fulfill the purpose that I had for you for your life. You're never going to be a great farmer any longer. And Cain says, this is too much for me to bear. So God, in mercy, puts a mark on Cain and sends him out, and Cain departs from the presence of the Lord. There were two natures and two offerings here I want us to explore because it has to do with the flesh man and the spirit man. So let's take a look at this. The first part, let's take a look at Cain's carnal offering. Cain's offering. So the Bible says, hey, God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So Cain gave an offering to the Lord. And the Bible says probably uh, we can kind of infer that God did not respond by fire. Probably both young men, some people think they were twins. They go to a place maybe at the edge of the Garden of Eden uh, where Adam had maybe told them about God and, and instructed them in the way of pleasing God and told them the story how God sacrificed the first animal and clothed them and sent them out. And so they maybe, let's just say they go to the edge of the Garden of Eden where the flaming angel, you know, a flaming arrow, flaming sword rather, where the angel standing. And they make this altar, and at both times, maybe these boys have grown up, and they both from the very best, Cain's a shepherd, Abel's a, I mean, sorry, Cain's a farmer, Abel's a shepherd, and they go and they do that. And then God consumes by fire Abel's offering, and, and then Cain's, nothing happens. Well, that's going to make two little brothers jealous, of course. And so what happens? Why didn't God consume by fire Cain's offering? Well, look in 1 John 3, 12. Scripture can interpret Scripture, and it tells us. 1 John 3, 12, it says, Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? John says, Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. God even told Cain, You're not doing well. If you do well, won't I accept you in faith? I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God's not picking on, I'm not picking on you. He says, If you're doing well, won't I accept you? Won't I receive you? Won't I bless you? So we can tell from right then it says that Cain was carnal. Cain was fleshly minded. He was what John would say, he is pursuing the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life. He was, uh, before he ever came to that moment, 
Cain was eager to please the flesh. He had religious works. He went to church, let's say. He provided an offering. He paid his tithes. He went to church. He raised his hands. He said all the right things. Maybe he would have taught Sunday school class. But in that moment, God said, I don't accept anything you just gave me. You gave me of your ground. You gave me of all the things in your life you do. But I haven't accepted it. Why? Cain, don't you know if you're doing well, I will accept you. In that moment, Cain could have said, well, what's going on in me? How come I'm not doing well? Maybe it's a time for self-examination. Maybe it's a time for me to look at myself and examine, how come God isn't moving in my life? How come God isn't uh, moving through my life? How come God isn't blessing my life? But instead, Cain continued to be carnal. He did religious works, but he didn't have a life that loved and obeyed God. He didn't have a life of faith in God's promise plan he worshiped God, but he offered himself to earthly desires and bodily appetites, pursuing everything that built his flesh up in his off time. You see, you can attend church and think you're paying God off rather than be in humble dependence on him. You can choose a church because it fits your needs until it doesn't rather than being led to join a community of faith. You see, you can volunteer on a team to have your pride stroked until it doesn't, until they don't. Or you can serve because you know Jesus served you. You see, you can give to a church and feel you've earned your opinion to be preferred until it's not. And you can give, though, because you want to see God glorified. You see, you can sing a chorus. You can raise your hands. You can pray. You can have something in your heart, though, against someone else in this room. You can attend a church, but you can be so focused on the music, the lights, the room temperature, and then the imperfections and knowing habits of everybody around you and miss God on a Sunday morning. You see, Romans 8, 6 says, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it doesn't subject itself to follow the law. It's not even able to do so, Paul said. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So how am I doing with my life worship? Is God accepting of my life worship. You can be a pastor and preach every single week, and history has shown us how many have failed in the pulpit. You can go through all the religious moments, and God can even use those things, but is it a life that pleases God? There's a difference in an acceptable offering of sacrifice. You see, that was Cain's carnal offering, but Abel had an acceptable offering. Why did God accept Abel's offering? Well, look in Hebrews 11.4. It tells us there... Scripture interprets Scripture. By faith, the author of Hebrews says, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. Somebody say, by faith. It was by faith Abel offered a sacrifice to God through which he obtained the testimony he was righteous. God testified about his gifts. And it says, through faith, even though he's dead, Abel's offering still speaks. Why did Abel, what did Abel have faith in? You know, Jesus said that Abel was a prophet. I don't know if you know that or not, but he says that Abel was the first prophet to die. What was he prophesying about? He, he says he's prophesying about that when his blood died, he had faith in what he was offering. What does that mean? I believe that as Abel offered that sacrifice there, it wasn't offering of his own works, but he knew from Genesis 3.15 that God was going to send a son of Eve, and he was going to pay the price and crush the serpent's head. So he heard that from his daddy. And so when he gave that offering of that lamb, 
It says he gave not only his very best of his sacrifice, Abel was going to give the very best to God. And even though he would give the very best to God, the first portions of his work, his tithe, his offering, he would give that, his very best. But he would realize on that offering, this isn't going to be enough. I'm going to have faith that what my dad told me, God is going to provide someone who's going to get us back to that garden. God's going to send a promised Messiah. And Abel was looking ahead to Jesus. Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. See, Abel brought his very best. There was no mention of Cain's very best. Just Cain, it says that Cain just brought something. But the author says that Abel brought his very best. But Abel knew it wasn't his own works that would get him there. It was faith in God's work to save him. See, Abel, even in his off time, we see that Abel was interested in pleasing the Lord. He didn't think he could just buy God off. But every day before and after that offering, Abel was going to live a life that was doing good things for his God. I love what one author says, that Abel's real sacrifice was his life. One author says, as the man is, so is his sacrifice. See, the best thing you can offer God is not your tithes, not your offerings. All that's great. Not your church attendance, but it's your whole self. Your best sacrifice you can give to God. That's what Paul says. Let us be living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, pleasing to the Lord. This is your reasonable act of worship to just give of yourself to the Lord. God is looking for all of you. He doesn't just want part of you. He just doesn't want the religious aspects. He doesn't want you just to do work yourself to the bone in order to earn His love. He already loves you. He already sent His Son to die for you. So freely give Him the one who freely gave you everything. Somebody say amen. It's a life of faith. Do I trust that my works, even though I want to give God my very best, will be insufficient? And I'm solely going to trust God's work in and through me. You see, Abel represents the spirit man. He represents a person who has a true heart of worship, saying, God, I'm going I'm to come to a church. I'm going to join it in faith. I'm going to be moved by the Spirit. I'm going to give you of my very best. But when I get to the end of it, God, I recognize this is going to fall short at your feet. So, Jesus, I thank you for being the sacrifice I really need. It's a life of humble dependence, of abiding in Him. See, that's where Romans says in eight, chapter 8, verse 14, all who are being led by the Spirit of God... These are sons of God. Abel is the spirit man. Cain represents the flesh man. So look at this. Here's a question for reflection. To say, when I get up in the morning, I told the youth this week, and, and I know a lot of leaders that do this, but on my phone when, when my alarm goes off, on my phone I've programmed this way, that it says, good morning, Holy Spirit. Every day that when I shut my alarm off that wakes me up on my phone, I want to be reminded to live a life in and through the spirit. Holy Spirit, how can I please you today? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Holy Spirit, how can I follow your leading today? Holy Spirit, how can I surrender to you today? That's the able man. I want to be following the way of Abel. I want to be in the Spirit. So here's a question God said to, to Cain in that moment. It's a question for examination. Remember what he said to Adam? Adam, where are you? Don't you think God knew where Adam was? Adam, where are you? Not like God couldn't find him. He's like the best hide-and-seek player ever. God knows where you are. So, Adam, where are you? He was asking that not for himself. He was asking that for Adam. Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Adam, what have you done? Have you done something I told you not to do? He says the same thing to Cain, his son. Cain, why are you angry? Why are you? God knows why he's angry. Cain, why are you angry? Cain, why are you feeling depressed and dejected? 
Don't you know, Cain, that if you do well and do what is right, I will bless you? You see, sometimes it's not really that God doesn't know. He just wants you to know. Sometimes He just wants you to take a moment and say, Hey, do you know why you're feeling angry against your sister? Just be honest. Let's just be honest. Why are you feeling jealous against so-and-so who got that promotion instead of you? Don't you know I can bless you? Don't you know I provide all your needs? Why are you feeling dejected that that so-and-so was talking about you? Do, you? do you care? It's not about what they say about you. It's about what I say about you. Do you understand that I'm the God who heals you? Are you worried about? Why are you so worried about that? Don't you know that I provide a cattle on a thousand hill? I know every sparrow that falls. Why are you stressed? Why are you anxious? Why don't you have joy in the morning? Why are you going through this season feeling like I'm not in control? See those questions? God's a great question asker, and it's not for Him to get the answer. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. You see, what is inside is going to come out. You say, why am I here, God? Why has this happened to get me here? Why am I feeling this way? What's wrong on the inside of me? Maybe I'm not taking responsibility for my feelings. I've shared this before, but there was a season of, of immense stress in my life uh, in my last church. I had handled a lot of projects. It was a very busy season, a lot of spiritual stress. Uh, everything on the outside was going very well. But on the inside, I was barely making it, barely surviving. And I was coming into the church one day, and I walked up the stairs to get ready for the service. I was the associate pastor, and, and a, uh, one of my team leaders came up and just said, Hey, how are you? You know, like we all do on a Sunday morning. But in that moment, I heard the Lord ask it through that lady. And I'll tell you what, it broke me. Because it was God asking me, Heath, how are you? No, 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 no. How are you really? I'm telling you, she didn't know what happened, but tears started swelling up in my eyes. I ran downstairs to my office and just started bawling because I wasn't doing well. I wasn't really making it. Why? Because I'd taken on so much stuff that God hadn't asked for me to take on. I was holding it all in, trying to make it on my own. I hadn't surrendered all my works to Him. I was trying to just keep everything going, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking this responsibility, that responsibility, trying to be the best, trying to do more, trying to be everything I could be. God hasn't had that for me. That wasn't my load to carry. That was His load. And He was saying, Heath, no, 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 how are you? So I ask you, no, how are you really? How are you? If God was going to ask you a question today, what would He be asking you? Why are you where you are? Are you stuck in this season because you've been making excuses or blaming somebody else? Have you lost your joy because you've not really been finding it in Jesus? You've been looking for your spouse to fulfill you? That's not their job. That's God's job. Have you been losing your peace because you've been placing in other people or things and not in Him? Have you been failing in obedience and you've been trying your, your best, but it never seems to be good enough because really you're trying in your own effort? and not by His Spirit? Are you stressed or are you anxious today because you're carrying something God has asked you to lay down? So what's God asking you? See, sometimes it's so easy to do things in the natural. But see, there's a warning for overcoming. That's the next step. There's a warning for overcoming. So here's what God says. He says, okay, Cain, let me ask you a question. But let me give you a warning, bro. He says, you're either going to be overcoming, Cain, or you're going to be overcome. 
He says that if you're not doing well, sin is going to be like this lion, and it's sitting at the door waiting for you to come out of it. It's crouching at your door. It's waiting to master you, but you, boy, got to master it. What is he saying? It's, he personalizes sin. Look, listen, God himself personalized sin. He said it's like a lion. Remember what Peter said? Peter, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, don't you know that the enemy... He's like a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. You know what lions do? They don't go just for the strongest person in the pack. They wait to that weak and elderly lamb or sheep or muskox or whatever it is, wildebeest is out there on the edge, and they pick it off the side. They wait till you're at your weakest. And he says, Cain, don't you know if you keep pouring into the flesh, it's going to lead you to a place where you're not going to be strong enough to resist the attack of the enemy, and that enemy is going to be waiting for you to pounce on you at the last moment when you haven't been really preparing yourself, doing things in the spirit. You've been walking in the natural for so many months, weeks, or years, and that thing is going to come and it's going to eat you. It's going to devour you, Cain. You see, it was either your countenance is going to be lifted up or there's something crouching at your door. If you have a choice before you, Cain, do well or don't do well, Cain. But instead, instead of dealing with his sin issue, began to dwell on his jealousy. That jealousy, he dwelt on it. Jealousy turned to anger. Anger and his brother turned to hate. Hate turned to rage. Rage turned to murder. We're not saying how long. Nobody says, it doesn't say how long this moment happened. Cain was probably just eating dinner with his brother thinking, I'm going to kill you, bro. He just began to mull over it and mull over it. You can mull over offenses. You can mull over people who've hurt you. You can just begin to carry those things, walk those things to flesh. I can't believe that so-and-so did that to me. You're going to smile at them at Walmart, and you're going to think all kinds of bad things when they walk away. Come on, I know how we are. We people. We are all Cain in some way. We are all natural men. And there are moments where you've got to say, I'm going to crucify that thing, because I will either be overcoming that thing, or that thing will overcome me. How many know what I'm talking about? There are moments where that thing is going to devour you if you keep dwelling on it. Man. He says, Cain, you either need to deal with your sin nature or that sin nature is going to deal with you. So how do you do that? Romans 6.12 says, therefore do not let. That means you have to give it permission. Do not let. Jesus has crucified it, but you can let it back in your house. He says, you do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He says this, verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under the grace. What does that mean? It means I have a choice. I can put this thing away, but if I do that, I have to pursue something greater. We see this in our Celebrate Recovery all the time. Whatever you got rid of in your life, you better replace it with something better and greater. I can put that thing away, but that thing doesn't die. I've got to fill that hole on the inside of me with something else. I've got to have a greater pursuit. Like I was pursuing the flesh before, I need to pursue God more. I was pursuing all the thoughts I had about revenging that person. So I'm going to put that aside, but I need to pursue something. He says, don't let that thing but then present yourself. Stop pursuing this fleshly thing, then start presenting yourself to God. It's not enough to stay neutral in the middle. You can't just stop something. You've got to replace it with something else. Now, how to put away and then pursue. I love what this uh, early Presbyterian evangelist in the late 1800s, he said this. He said, the rule that governs my life is this. Anything that dims my vision of Christ 
Anything that takes away my taste for Bible study, or cramps my prayer life, or makes my Christian work difficult, that thing is wrong for me, and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. What is he saying? There are things that are going to hinder my pursuit of God. I put those things away to keep greater pursuit of Him. I learned early on in my Christian walk as I was just going after God, it wasn't enough for me to stop doing something. I had to start pursuing Him greater. I had to put that thing, Him in a greater pedestal, a greater place, and just say, hey, Heath, I don't want to think this way anymore. You, can't, you, can, you can work yourself to death. You can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on psychologists and psychiatrists. You can go to counseling and seminars and revivals. You can have moments of emotional with God. You can do all the things and give all the things. But if you don't replace that with a pursuit of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will just keep on going back to the same thing. Pursue it. What have you been forsaking lately and filling that place with? God's Spirit. What is it that you've been for? Just think about this week. Just be real with yourself. This week, God, what have I forsook on purpose and replaced with by the Holy Spirit? Forsaking something in the natural to replace it with a filling of the Holy Spirit. Put away and pursue. You'll either deal with your sin nature or it will deal with you. You'll either be overcoming or you'll be overcome. Lastly is truth and spirit. Jesus, I said earlier, told the Samaritan woman, those who worship God, God is spirit, and those who worship God must be worshipers in spirit and in truth. So how do we bring all this home? You have before you two men, two, men, two natures, two offerings. All of that deals on the inside of us. So how do I live a life that pleases God? How do I do this, like this week, Pastor Heath, how do I walk this out? Well, the first part, let's say, is truth. Spirit and truth. Let's talk with truth. How do you live a life that pleases God? How do I conquer this sin nature inside of me and live by the Spirit? The first is truth. God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. The truth is, you can't please God on your own. Truth is, from Cain, you can't do this by yourself. But the truth is, Jesus is, play on words, able. Come on, somebody. Jesus is able. He's able. Remember that? You know he's able, my Lord. Okay, my kids' church. Okay, 1990. Hey, he's able. Jesus is able. And literally, that's what the Bible says. Jesus is able. Now watch this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. See, human effort can't please God, but Christ's effort can. Hebrews 12, 24, Then to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, listen, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, the truth is Christ has already done the work for you. What Abel looked ahead to, we look back to. And just like Abel lived a life that pleased God by faith in the work of Christ, he was looking ahead. You and I live a life that pleases God in faith looking back to Christ. I can look back and say, Jesus has paid the price. His blood speaks a better word than any work, anything I could ever do. I can never be good enough, but I will offer all that I have, everything and nothing less, like we just sang, and give it all to God and just trust God. He is my everything. Jesus is good enough for me. And so he speaks a better word. My best is going to come up short. So I trust in Christ's work to be sufficient. Remember what he told Cain? Listen, he said, Cain, Abel's blood cries out from the ground. I can hear it. It's crying. Now, listen, if Abel's blood 
made it up to heaven to God's ears, how much more did Christ's blood? How much more did God hear the cry of his own son's blood that went up to glory? And God says, I hear the sound of Christ Jesus, my son's blood. It is crying up to me. And listen, you can either apply that blood to your life by faith and receive cleansing and forgiveness of sin. It is the better sacrifice. You'll be either found under that blood. But listen, if you don't apply that to your life by faith, that same blood like it judged Cain, that same blood of Jesus is going to judge you. Amen. You'll either be found in the blood or out of the blood. And he says, Cain, that blood is crying out to me. You see, every person who stands outside the blood of Jesus Christ is going to have no excuse. The cry of Christ's blood demands judgment or it offers forgiveness. His blood speaks a better word. See, there's only two religions in the world today, Warren Wiersbe said. He says, one, that is either of Abel, that depends on the blood of Christ and his finished work on the cross, or number two, that of Cain, and it depends on good works and man-pleasing religion. One leads to heaven, and the other will lead to hell. That means you can come to church every single Sunday and hear sermons just like this and still go to hell. Because it's all about how do you have your faith in the blood of Jesus. And lastly is this, trust or truth, the truth those who worship must worship in truth and then lastly is spirit how do you worship in spirit paul says walk in the spirit he says if you're living according to the flesh you must die but if you live by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live you see religious effort will never conquer the inner flesh man all my fleshly works i'm just going to replace bad works with good works and both are fleshly I can, I can be a person who's doing the, going to the bars and having sex outside of marriage and doing drugs and doing all these things. That's works of flesh. And I can come to church every week. I can raise my hands. I can sing out loud. I can pay my tithes. I can do all the good things and give to charities and volunteer to ring the bell as Santa Claus every single Christmas. Those are still works of flesh. Do you listen to me? Those are still works and efforts of man. The difference is a person who says, by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do these things. By the moving and yearning and pleading and wanting and abiding in a spiritual relationship with God, I'm doing this because the Spirit is leading me. I'm following the direction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is causing me from within to dwell up, and I want to go to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to give. I want to sing. I want to lift my my hands. I want to go to the altar and bow down. I want to confess my sins. Do you understand me this morning? You can pretend to me all you want, but God will know the difference. God will know the difference whether or not he's going to accept your offering. Abel had no idea Cain was offering it perhaps in the wrong way, but when the fire came down, there was the truth. How you live a life to please God is whether or not you live a life of faith and in the Holy Spirit. A life of faith and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must do the work in you. Paul says, unless you do these things and put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. First John says, it's because the Word of God abides in you that you can overcome the evil one. Because the Word of God is abiding. He's living on the inside of you. And He's the one that will produce spiritual fruit. We're going to pick up, pick up a lot more of this over the next few weeks, but I want you just to get this, this first part today. You are either going to be overcoming 
or overcome. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? You are either overcoming or being overcome. How is the Holy Spirit filling you today? Do you have a revelation of truth in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in the sufficient work of Christ to save you? And are you abiding in a living relationship with the Holy Spirit? It is so easy to continue to do the Christian life by works of flesh, but that will not give you a life that pleases God. What's your motivation? Do we come to church because we're guilted into it, because we feel conviction? That's a good beginning, but it can't end there, sir or ma'am. It has to be because the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you, and that begins with a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it's like the wind. No one can understand it or explain it. You can only see the effects of it. The wind comes and goes, and you don't know how it comes and goes or where it's going, but you can see how it blows through the trees. You can see the effects of a Spirit-filled life. And as you confess your sin and say, Jesus, I know that my works are insufficient, and I repent of living my life my own way, and I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that He is God's Son, that He paid the perfect sacrifice for my sin. Only Him and Him alone he alone is sufficient to save me. And it's not my works that I could boast, but it is a gift of grace through my faith in him. Like Abel, you're going to give your very best to God your whole life, but then you're going to trust that that's not enough. It's just Jesus. So that's you today. This is the first step. Whether you're just coming in the doors today for the first time or you've been and coming to church for years, have you really surrendered everything to the work of Jesus? You say, God, I know I'm not enough, and I trust in the work of Christ by grace. It's that easy, that easy, nothing you have to do, nothing you have to do, just receive grace. Just confess, God, I surrender my life to you. I believe in Jesus Christ. I repent of doing life by my own efforts, good or bad. I surrender. That's the first step. You can play that right here, right now. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come pray with one of our elders and our leadership team and let them pray with you about that. Maybe it's for the first time or just doing it again, saying, God, I really need to stop doing life my own way. I surrender. Number two, you say, I'm a Christian. You've got to live life by the Holy Spirit in order to please God. Maybe today you need to just learn what it is to begin a journey of walking in the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you know doctrine, you know how to do church, you know right from wrong. Listen to me, mom or dad, maybe you grew up in VBS and mom and dad told you how to be a good Christian and you know what it means to be a good Christian, a good wife and a good husband. You know all that, but you know there's something missing. Let's just be honest. What's God asking you? What's God asking you? Do you have a spirit nature that you are listening to every day and he's telling you something, but maybe you've been ignoring it? And you don't know really how to abide in that yet, but here in the next few weeks, you're going to begin to learn it. But just today to say, God, I recognize I've really just been living a life that's just good morals and good behavior, but I want to know what it is 
to live a life that's in the Holy Spirit.